to the Blue Roads Changemaker Podcast. I'm Patty Talbot, CEO and co-founder of Blue Roads Education Group. In this series, you'll hear reflections about what it means to be a homegrown changemaker. We focus interviews around the Blue Roads mantra, homegrown solutions for a patchwork world. Our guests are amazing changemakers, solutionaries, and social innovators who've taken the path from local citizen to global changemaker and or from global citizen to local changemaker by working to change the system that creates the world's most challenging issues close to home and around the globe. I ask participants to tell us about their origins, how they've engaged with others different from themselves, how they work to create solutions, and how they've used these experiences to make the leap to changemakers addressing the UN Sustainable Development Goals. As their host, I try hard to take myself out of the conversation as much as possible so you won't notice the typical back and forth of the interview process. I hope this will help you to hear their stories as a complete narrative that addresses all four quadrants of the Blue Roads Changemaker Journey, Homegrown Solutions for a Patchwork World. Today, I welcome history teacher Kim Young to our Changemaker series. Listen in as she shares how she turns her rich travel learning experiences into opportunities for her students to think skillfully and critically about the world in which they live. Welcome, everyone. I'm so excited today to have my friend Kim Young with me. Kim is a high school teacher in Boston, and we met each other through the World Savvy Global Confidence Certificate Program as students. First, we met online like this, and then we were fortunate to spend a couple of weeks together in Ecuador a few years ago. So I'm so excited to talk to you today, Kim, and learn about the exciting work that you've been doing. I think, actually, the first time I met you, you were in Palestine or something. <laughs> Exciting like that at the time. So I'm eager for you to talk to our audience today. So welcome. This is Kim, everybody. Hey, everybody. It's so great to be here. I'm excited. It's always fun to sit down and talk with Patty. And as we've talked, I'm going to use the, our little framework, Homegrown Solutions for a Patchwork World, to frame our conversation today. And so if you would start by just introducing yourself in any additional way you would like to, and then dig right into that homegrown quadrant where you tell us about your roots, where you come from, and who your people are. I'm yeah living in Boston, Massachusetts, and I'm a ninth grade world history teacher. I've been doing that for 16 years now, so I would say that is... Uh, very much a part of my identity, um, being a teacher and specifically being a history teacher. It's something I didn't necessarily see myself doing, but over time found out it is kind of the core of who I am. So I think that's the most important thing to kind of know about me right now. My roots, I'm originally from Ann Arbor, Michigan. So my roots are based in the Midwest. And for a very long time, I'd say that was a formative part of my identity and something that I felt, especially when I first moved out to Boston, because all of a sudden there was a little bit of culture shock and you're then aware of your identity a little bit more about what's different. But now what is equally shocking is now when I go back to Ann Arbor and find out <laughs> that things feel a little different back there and they feel more normal in Boston. But growing up in Ann Arbor was a great place to grow up being near the University of Michigan. So we had a lot of 
you know, new international people coming in and out and a lot of opportunities being kind of a small town, but situated with a large university. So you get the advantages of the big city, but some of the connections of the small town. I went to a really, really large high school. There were about two to 3,000 students my senior year. None of my classes were in the high school. They were all in portable classrooms. I think that those kind of initial Midwestern values of connecting with people first, and that smile and a wave and a hello, um, not as friendly as the South, but <laughs> still, a, still a connection. I think key things about like where I'm from and who I am is growing up, I played a lot of sports and my family was really focused on sports. So something that is a through line for me is teamwork and working it as a team. And I'm mostly motivated when working with others and when others depend on me or need me, that's when I feel best. If I'm working alone, sometimes I can find it's really hard to motivate myself. Who are my people? I have to say growing up as the media supported norm, as a white woman from a middle-class family, I feel very privileged that, or I know that I, that is a question I didn't have to think about. It was something that was kind of defined for me and something I didn't have to be aware of and thinking about who my people are. But the best part about becoming an adult and more aware of my identity and more interconnected with people is that I have had the chance to become a little more aware of my identity and my people and my privilege and I'd say now um, my people are absolutely got a couple different sets of people, but most of my people are teachers, again, a core part of my identity. And I draw upon several different professional networks. One is our kind of alumni group from this global competency certificate connections I made there. Also connections of teachers across the United States from a program I did through National Geographic, the Grosvenor Teacher Fellowship. I have kind of a PLC of those teachers. And then I have an international group of teachers and domestic group of teachers through the Fulbright program, which is what I was in Palestine for. But I'd say my people now are, are teachers and educators. They're the people I enjoy connecting and kind of exchanging with. I remember in elementary school, a huge <laughs> moment for me. So I got a flyer in fourth grade that said, I want to go to France next year. And I took that flyer home. And I think most kids ask their parents and say, is this something I can do? And then I went home and told my parents that I was going to study abroad in France the next year and we were going to be hosting a student and I was going to get a job as a, in a paper route to raise the money for the plane ticket and I was going to babysit and walk dogs and this was all set and I was going. <laughs> so the fifth grade teacher I ended up having the next year was the leader of the exchange and we took after school classes where we learned French and we learned culture and then we had some exchange students we went they came for three weeks and then we went for three weeks and I remember everyone asking me aren't you aren't you scared or aren't you know what what are you worried about and I was like I'm not worried about anything it's going to be exactly the same as Ann Arbor except for people will speak French and I landed in Paris and found out it was nothing like Ann Arbor Michigan it's my first time seeing apartment style living much smaller spaces um, alleyways markets public transportation. And it was a fascinating moment for me to see that the world can live in a totally different way than my own. And it's equally right. And that was a huge shifting moment for me. And then going on into middle school and high school, I had a teacher who showed me 
the importance of making students think, placing them kind of in the historical time period and letting them think about choices and solutions, how things may have gone through simulations and kind of action-based learning. And I think all of this then... I went off to college, took history courses, but I didn't, I did not go into education because I didn't want to be a teacher because my mom was a teacher and everyone I knew I was, was a teacher and I didn't want to be like everyone I knew, but I had finished my coursework and I didn't want to (laughs) graduate. I didn't want to graduate early. So I could pick, I decided to pick up my teaching credential and I went about doing that. And then I said, "I'll, I'll teach for five years. And those first five years, I was just kind of going through the motions, but I, had an older teacher come up to me and say, you know, hey, did you know there's a local organization that they'll take you to China for free? And it wasn't free. I found out later on, but still, <laughs> he introduced me to an organization called Primary Source. And I had another important formative experience that I traveled to China and we went along China's Silk Road. And I had an impression going in as a history teacher that China was one way. And once I started traveling all throughout the Western provinces of China and central China and seeing it was totally different, that China was this vast, diverse country. And then I started writing lesson plans about that, where my students could kind of experientially explore China. And you know, I brought back artifacts and primary sources um, and developed a, a large interactive activity, you know, very much modeled after what I had seen some of the best teachers I knew do. And that really all of a sudden things started shifting from this is something I'm just doing because I've got nothing else to do to this is something, hey, there's like something going on here that I might really, really love. And that it was the change of going and exploring and then figuring out how to translate that back to my students and then seeing my students engage with the information and finding a way those same moments where I had these shifts in worldview where I saw the world one way and then it went another So I guess maybe that's the issue. Now I'm kind of seeing the issue that I've really identified is that as individuals, we, you know, from our experiences, see the world through one set of eyes and one lens. And we, until we're exposed to something different, we have no reason to question our worldview or how we see the world. And we assume our way is right. And we assume our way is the only way. And then as soon as we have an experience which shows us that the world is much bigger, I think the critical thing is, does that experience show us the world is different in a positive way, in a way that then welcomes us to learn more, or does it show us the world is different in a really scary way? And it's really important to me that I am a translator for my students of the world and that I can help them identify their worldview, but then show and help them explore the world to see different ways of thinking and different ways of being and framing it in a way of different is good and different is a part of the world and it's not scary or threatening. For whatever reason throughout my life, I've never found different to be scary. I've found different to be exciting and the best part. Like I want to see, I love when I think things are one way and then I find out they're different. To me, that's awesome. That's not earth shattering. Like it's earth shattering in a good way. Not, I don't see, you know, all of a sudden my world has crumbled because I found out it's totally different. I'm like, oh, that's so awesome. Now I know so much more. So I'm trying to create experiences for my students to do that. And, you know, from that one trip 
um, on China Silk Road all the way to Kashgar, looking, driving up a high mountain, Karakuli Lake, and looking over and seeing the border of Pakistan and getting to interact with a group of indigenous peoples who were celebrating the Horses Milk Festival that we had no idea, you just kind of stumbled upon it. That just told me that teaching could be so much and could be a part of my life. So I just, from that point on, continued to seek out all sorts of opportunities to travel as a teacher, but as a learner, not as a tourist, and have then challenged myself to think about how can I translate these experiences back to my classrooms, not through PowerPoints where I show kids pictures of where I've been, but where I can curate a series of resources that they explore and then ask questions and think about things differently and understand what things are similar, you know, kind of windows and mirrors, you know, what are windows and doors, what looks similar, what looks different, how can it teach me about myself, how can it show me a new way of being. So I do teach in a public school and I've got like two systemic things going for me and being able to make change and doing things differently to begin with. First of all, being a social studies teacher, we're really lucky in that there's nothing that's not social studies. <laughs> um, and not every teacher can say that, but I can, math you know, impacts history, science impacts history, politics impacts history. There's not anything someone can bring to the table and talk about. And I can say like, oh, yeah, that's really not a part of my curriculum. Everything always involves humans and interactions in some way. So it, it's relevant to my curriculum. So first of all, I'm just a little fortunate being in the social studies realm. Um, I've also found out, you know, I'm qualified to teach economics and psychology in theory. So <laughs> history, a social studies license gets you everything. The second major systemic thing that supports me being able to make change is that we do not have a, a state mandated test for social studies in Massachusetts. It's been in development for 15 years. It may happen soon. It may not happen. We really don't know. And we don't know what form the test will take, whether it'll be content or skill-driven. There's been a lot of talk of it being more skill-driven because there's not a state assessment that we have to be moving towards in terms of specific content kids have to do. We focus on skills. And I would say when I first started teaching, it was a transition. So the course I took over, the world history course, all of the teachers that had taught it had retired or left and gone to a new school. And then four new teachers came in and essentially they did not give us any of the old curriculum. They said the problem was it was 90% European medieval fair all, all year long, princesses and knights and kings and castles. And that's not representative. So we just want you guys to start from scratch. But I would say that does not mean it's always been easy and everyone's always said yes. But at least I didn't have, you know, two, two major walls in the sense that my content itself lends itself to doing new things. In social studies, I think we're always about change. So no one's surprised that a, a world history teacher is trying to mix things up. They're like, oh, of course. As I've tried to do different projects and gotten students involved in different things, there's been obstacles and people have not necessarily wanted to support the projects. But what I've found is that if I frame the project within the values that that leader has put forward, they typically will say yes, but they won't help me. They won't, if you frame it in the way that whatever their vision or goals are for the system, if you put your project in their words 
are under those goals and work. They will, I've never gotten a no. They always said, yes, you can do that. That doesn't mean they'll help me do it. It doesn't mean there'll be money to do it. It doesn't mean there'll be time to do it. But no one's ever said, no, you can't do it. They say, if you're willing to do all the work and find all of the money and do everything with it, we won't stop you. Which has been enough. And that's, that's what I've, that's been okay for me so far. So what I see overall is the start of giving, because I only see them in ninth grade, um, but I have seen that they have the base or the bones of a set of skills that they then grow on over time, over and over again. My students know how to evaluate sources. They know how to find information. They know how to look at things from two different points of view. They can identify whether something's objective or subjective. And with that base foundational set, what I, I guess what I see is that I have a large number of students who come back to me one year later, two years later, five years later, eight years later with an aha moment. It, it takes them all, they're all on a slightly different timetable, but they will all come back with an aha of like, wait a second, now I know what you were talking about. I'm seeing this shift in my worldview. I'm seeing the world, like that's what you were talking about all year long. So the results I see, I see students have a couple of core skills that they can then build upon in their own way. They definitely don't come back agreeing with me, but they come back saying, I get what you were talking about in a larger way in terms of what global citizenship looks like and what multiple perspectives are, how to understand, you know, when I saw something in the news, I knew how to think about it critically and I knew how to investigate well, here's the thing I, I don't know, or here's the perspective. Yeah, they're talking about this one thing, but I know to identify they've completely left out all these other voices. I see the other skill um, students have, they're good at identifying misconceptions and when the facts they're reading may be based on those misconceptions. We do a lot of work on identifying and understanding what's out there in terms of misperceptions, stereotypes, and problematic thinking about different cultures of the world. And when they understand some of those through lines, they'll start reading texts. They're like, wait a second, they started with a wrong assumption and then built off of that. It's that slow change, real small things over time. So the, the change that I've seen over a decade is something I would have wanted to see in a year. But you plant small seeds and then you keep coming back to them. And after three or four years, people are like, yeah, we should do that. Or that sounds right. <laughs> and then, you know, however many years later, it's, it circles back again. But I definitely say things move much slower locally. And that I've found more success in these other circles because I think there's internal politics within a local community and it can be hard because the interpersonal relations are, relationships are so much stronger. I'm thinking about it in that the change in terms of pace of change, it can happen very quickly in your own garden. So in my own classroom with my own students, in my own, like I can change really, really rapidly. And in order to do that, I need the regional support of people who are moving rapidly as well. People who are moving quickly and change so that I don't feel like I'm alone. 
And then the change that I want in my local community outside of my garden definitely happens, but it happens so slowly and it happens in a way that can feel frustrating. So that if I did not have that regional network, I think I might stop. My ripples of impact might stop and that I would see too many walls and changing my district or my larger school. It's not that people aren't open to change, but the time it takes to make change, there's a problem. I guess an issue in teaching is that there is not a model of teacher leaders. There's not a model that supports a teacher staying in the classroom and being a leader. So I have to enact change in curriculum in my own classroom and then in my own educational team and do all the over, you know, more than full-time responsibilities that that requires. If I then want to enact change in a larger area of my district, again, that's all on my own in a volunteer time. And that takes a lot of things to move because there's not models of teachers staying in the classroom and being a leader. It doesn't happen. It's not that people aren't open to change. It's that the system doesn't give time to supporting those teacher leaders. It's like, that's all bonus as opposed to essential. For me, it's all about finding about what you care about and then finding a critical group of people that will support you and challenge you in enacting that and then being patient. Thank you, Kim Young. Your passion for learning, travel, and perspective taking clearly enrich and deepen the experiences of the students fortunate enough to have you as their teacher. Consider how much better off these students are because of the way they've been taught to think. What if every student had such an opportunity? Oh, the places we could go as a world. Thanks for tuning in to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast. We hope you'll follow our work and learn more about how you can get involved and start your own changemaker journey at www.blueroadseducation.org. We'd love it if you could subscribe to the Blue Roads Changemaker podcast and give us a rating on iTunes so that others can find us too. This also helps to elevate the voices of the amazing changemakers you're learning about in our series. Mm-hmm.